0: Today, I am discussing the case of 21-year-old Adam Castillo from Wilcox, Arizona. On the night of Saturday, September 13th, 2008, Adam went to a party in the desert with about 30 other people and was never seen again. Rumors began to swirl in the small town, and the sheriff's office actually shut down the local high school for an entire day just to conduct interviews and see if they could figure out what happened in the desert that night. But 13 years later, the case has gone cold. And we still don't know how Adam disappeared. I found Adam's case over a year ago. A family member posted Adam's poster in a discussion group on Facebook asking questions about billboard pricing. I honestly didn't think much of it. I was just trying to be helpful. At that time, I was taking a break from the podcast to process my father's arrest. But earlier this year, I found Adam's sister Ariana on TikTok. She runs the Justice for Adam Castillo account and creates videos to advocate for his case. I watched a few of these videos and ran to Google, but almost nothing came up. I had to dig through Facebook and Reddit posts to find links to the few articles that are available. Luckily, Ariana, her sister Cassandra, and her mother Grace were kind enough to speak with me for this episode. I was also able to obtain what I hope is just some of Adam's case file. I want to warn you, Adam's story is complicated, and discerning fact from fiction is extremely difficult in this case. After Adam went missing, the rumors began to spread like wildfire. But above all, most people say they know Adam died that night, one way or another. There's a lot to go over, so let's get into it. This is the case of Adam Castillo. Adam was the third child of John and Grace Castillo. He was their youngest son before having three daughters. Here is Adam's sister, Cassandra, describing the family dynamic.
1: So our family has six kids. Uh, we grew up kind of pretty close in age. Um, we were called the Mexican Brady Bunch because my parents had three kids, three boys first, and then three girls. Right, so Adam is the uh, the baby boy. So I'm the oldest girl, and um, my sister Diana is right behind me, and we were like the the Irish twins, I guess we'd say, is all three of us were bam, 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 right after each other. <laughs> um, so Adam, myself, and my sister, Diana, were very, very close.
0: Here is Grace and Cassandra describing a bit about what Adam was like. Oh,
2: he could. um, it was just a little boy that at times he would be mischievous things out of spite but they were not bad they were like okay let me say when he was going to be one year old he um i had made him a cake and i told him do not touch and he was just there looking at it and looking at it so i said i'm going to the room i'm going to come back inside do not touch the cake and it was like i told him to do it because when it came back he had frosting all over his mouth, and he was very happy. So, you know, he was just, um, he was just a little boy, and and again, the same way. After he got older, he was always making people laugh. You know, um, very caring. Um, he was just a good-hearted boy. He's, I loved him because he was. He'd always tell me he loved me. To me, he was full of life. God, he just um, was at the wrong place at the wrong time in this little town.
1: He was just really a chill, like cool kid. Like he was into skating, and he was into like cool music, and and you know, as a younger sister and not by much, but like even just like looking up to him being like, man, he's cool. Like he's got cool vibes. He's into the cool music. He's got cool friends and just, he was a cool guy. Um, very chill, very, um, like nothing really ticked him off. He didn't really have like a a hot temper or anything like that. Um, he, uh, he was very sensitive. I, I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if he would have liked to be described like that, but he was sensitive. Um, he just was a good guy. Like he would never be the type of guy that you'd be like, Oh, he's going to be a jerk to his girlfriend." No, he was so understanding and sweet that you knew he was going to be that, that sweet guy. Um, but, uh, because he was sensitive, he dealt with like a lot of emotions. So I think that kind of made him a little different. Um, so of course we had two older, older brothers, and uh, they were a little bit age-gapped apart from us. Um, and so that was kind of hard to see, you know, our older brothers picking on my brother and <laughs> just being little poops. Um, and Adam was just like, he never really turned out to be like like them, I guess I'd say. Like, they were good, but, you know, they were cool guys, too. But they were older, and they were a little bit more, um, you know, blunt or rough, I guess I'd say. And Adam wasn't really like that. So, um, I think if I could describe Adam in one word, it would be chill. <laughs> like, uh, how do I say, if he came into a room, he just, like, I don't know, he kind of, like, chilled the vibe, you know? Um, he made everybody relaxed and in a good mood because he was, he was funny and he made everybody laugh and kind of like a clown, but not over the top, I guess. Um, just a really cool guy. And, and it's one of the things that we hold on to that's still so hard to think about today is that he he had really like he left really great memories for us just a, a good guy <laughs> I mean I remember being in like the hallways at school and uh like friends or you know just girls around being like man I wish I was close to my brother like you were because I like you and Adam are because um, you know he was my brother so he was going to be a jerk to me. <laughs> I remember, he would sometimes flip me off at, like, from down the hall, and I'd give him like a sarcastic, like, "haha," uh-huh, very funny look, and then he would like blow me a kiss with his middle finger, and I'd be like, "You're such a shit." <laughs> um, but that was Adam. Like, he just, he was cool on that level with me. But yeah, I, I mean, I think, I mean, he took me to my homecoming. um I feel like we were close on that level. But don't and him were cool on a different vibe too.
0: It's pretty clear that Adam was very close to his sisters and cared for them greatly. But it wasn't the easiest upbringing for the Castillo kids. They moved a lot and didn't have a lot of money. But they always made it work. The family moved from Arizona to California back to Arizona. When Adam is a teenager, the family lands in Surprise, Arizona. Surprise is about an hour west of Phoenix. At this time, it was still a very new community so there wasn't much around. But if you traveled a few miles east, you hit the Peoria area, where there's a popular shopping mall and a skate park. This is around the time Adam really got into skateboarding. It was his largest passion, and one day he even met a scout at the skate park. But quickly after, he was told the family was moving several hours away to the small town of Wilcox, Arizona. Here is Cassandra elaborating on this.
1: He would always ask my mom, "Mom, can you take me to the skate park? Mom, can you drop me off at the skate park, please? Mom, can I go to the skate park, or can I go with Ernie? Can I go to the skate park?" And anytime that he could, you know, or she could, she would take him. And I never really went. Maybe that was the girly in me, like, ah, I don't want to go." Um, but she would take him a lot. And I remember one time he came home and he was so excited because he had spoken to a scout, and I. Uh, He was like, they were talking to me and they were interested in me. Like, you think they're going to sign me? Like, and I was like, that's cool, dude. Like, and he's like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how to feel. Like, I'm just so, I'm so like, man, like, and I said, well, that's really cool, dude. And, um, being a kid, not really knowing what that meant, I guess. Um, but for him, he was just like, in his eyes, I guess he just saw as this is his ticket. You know, he, he always picked up things super easily um and skating wasn't that easy so he was determined to learn it and his determination made him really good um and then going to these skate parks you know doing something he loved uh he just felt like oh this is it like I'm gonna I'm gonna get noticed you know um well then my parents told him that no you're moving to Wilcox with your, with your mom and your sister and he was like no I'm not I'm not going you know and yeah you are so going mom.
0: This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune. And I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials, and with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, and they only use premium fabrics and finishes you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. quince.com slash justice. this episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cassandra says Adam really changed after this move. Wilcox is like a different world from the Surprise area. It's a small town with about 3,000 people, and it's just over an hour from the Mexico border. When I looked up the crime statistics for Wilcox, I found that from 2006 to 2019, they only had one documented murder. That was in 2008, the same year that Adam went missing. As for almost every other type of crime, Wilcox consistently trends above the national average. Grace was actually raised in Wilcox. When I asked her about it, she says that it wasn't the same city she grew up in. Everything changed, and corruption was pretty much everywhere. She said in Wilcox, it's not about what you know, but who you know. This statement stuck with me hard as I read through the many theories about what happened to her son, Adam. Adam had a very hard time adjusting to Wilcox. Sure, surprise Arizona isn't the largest, most exciting city in the world. But it was a lot closer to the city center of Phoenix, and of course the skate park and friends that Adam really loved. From talking to Adam's sisters and mother, it seems like moving to Wilcox felt like the end of Adam's dreams of becoming a professional skateboarder. It might sound silly, but Adam and I are the same age and grew up in the same area. This dream of being a professional skateboarder was very common, and in all my time hanging around skate parks in the area, I never once saw a scout. I understand why he was so excited about this. For him, skateboarding was his escape, and possibly a chance at financial security if he made it big. Adam continued to skate in Wilcox, but held a lot of resentment towards his mother for a few years. Despite this resentment, Adam focused on work and helping his family pay the bills. Cassandra would move to California eventually, often begging Adam to come out there with her. He began warming up to the idea, but ultimately never made the move. It seems like although Adam really hated Wilcox and still resented his mother for making him move, he still loved his family greatly and wanted to help provide for them. Even years after the move, there was quite a bit of tension between Adam and his mother, but a devastating life event would bring them back together. In 2008, two weeks before Adam went missing, Adam's nephew Caleb died at just a few months old. Obviously, the family was devastated. Both Ariana and Grace spent most of their days watching the baby. But Grace was visibly broken. Adam put his resentment aside to console his mother.
1: So when Caleb passed away, my mom had a really, really hard time. She had really bonded with this baby. She watched him every day. And um, he had a hard life from the day he was born. So um, it was really hard. And and I was really happy that my mom and Adam had a... bonding a bonding moment or bonding time. Um Adam saw my mom hurting extremely bad and you know picked her up from the floor and and consoled her. And uh he told her beautiful words like, you know, mom Caleb's not hurting anymore and uh he's in heaven and it's gonna be okay and I'm sorry you're hurting and I'm here uh, just whatever you he told her, it was, it was their moment, it was their time to, uh, have their bonding, their reconciliation, and, and that was, when my mom told me about that, that just, like, overjoyed my heart, because they kind of had this, like, distance between each other for a long time, ever since we moved to Wilcox, and to see them, or hear that they bonded that way, really, really made me feel good, that, Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that Adam was there for you, Mom, and Adam, you know, looked past his anger or his, his past, uh, you know, wrongs and, and really was just there for you. I'm, I'm happy that you
0: both had that. Cassandra scraped together all the money she had for a last minute flight home for the funeral. She stayed for a few days and unfortunately got into a pretty big argument with Adam. They both said things I imagined they'd take back if they could. As siblings do, they kind of just stayed silent until they shared their last meal together. A big bucket of KFC with all the sides. It was kind of an unspoken treaty. This is the last time she would ever see her brother Adam. Though they would share a nice conversation about a week later, where they joked like nothing happened. On top of this recent tragedy, Adam was also going through a breakup with his long-term girlfriend Wendy. Ariana told me that he was spending a lot of time in his room, listening to sad music, and basically just deep in his feels over this breakup. So when the youngest Castillo daughter, Eden, was invited to a party on Saturday, September 13th, 2008, the siblings thought it would be a great idea to get Adam out of the house.
3: I just know that he got really sad. He was pretty devastated, him and when he had been dating for a really long time. They were like really close, and I know that when they had broken up, he took it like, super hard he was just sitting there crying in his room he was kind of emo you know skateboarders usually are <laughs> but um <laughs> he was really emo about it you know just taking back sundays he used everything was just blasting out of that room for about a week so when me and my younger sister had heard about this party we had told him like hey dude let's go out and let's uh you know go and have a good time you know like you know just stuff like you say to your brother like ah shoot your your girlfriend sucks anyways try to get a better one kind of stuff you know <laughs> and uh that's, that's mainly the reason why he wanted to go was just to try to, we were trying to really just to get him out there. But he, he was just really super sad about him, about breaking up. Like I said, they were, they were really close. They had been together for a really long time. And I know that that actually had kept him pretty, pretty isolated in his room for a minute.
0: The problem was, Grace didn't want Eden to go.
2: It wasn't him that was invited to the, ber- to the party. It was my young daughter, Eden. That her friend, she was the one that invited my my youngest daughter, Eden. It ends up being, you know, like I told her, I said, you're only, what, not even 13, and you want to go where to this party? No, I go, you have no business over there. And Adam overheard this. And that was that Friday. And I said,
0: no. You just, you can't go, no. Despite this opposition, according to Ariana, the original plan was for her, Adam, and Eden to attend the party anyway. But that didn't end up happening.
3: I was supposed to go because uh, when we were getting ready to go, uh, my brother's buddies like Cody, uh, Cody, little Gary, Levi, and Kino were all there, and Cody was the one that had the car. And... When they were getting ready to take off, you know, it was a five, five-seater car. It only fit them five. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I could squish in. And he was like, oh, nah, you said you were going to go later. Uh, Alicia and her friends were supposed to come and pick me and my younger sister Eden up. And they never came. So I never made it to the party.
0: One of the hardest things about trying to tell you Adam's story is that the case file reads almost like a game of telephone. Almost every interview reads this way this person heard from a friend that their cousin told them that they overheard something about Adam. There are a few conflicting stories about where the group was before going to the party at the loop, but most of the men say that they were at Adam's house for a bit, then around 7 p.m. they went to Gary's mom's house before finally going to the party at the loop around 11 p.m. There are so few things that are 100% consistent throughout everyone's renditions of this night but the one thing that has stayed consistent is who Adam drove with to the party. Like Ariana said, Cody was the driver. In later interviews with police, Cody would describe his relationship with Adam saying that they were homies, and he mostly drove his friends around because they gave him gas money. So Cody drives Adam, Gary, Kino, and Levi out to the loop for this party around 11pm, in his red Plymouth neon. The loop is just a bit outside of Wilcox. Basically, you turn off the main highway and follow a few roads, until you get to this isolated patch of desert that locals call the Loop. It was a popular party spot. You see this a lot in Arizona. Younger people will pick these really random, desolate spots of desert to go party at. There's usually a huge bonfire and a lot of drugs and alcohol. On the way to the Loop, Cody takes the back roads because his taillights were out. Both Adam and Gary drink Budweiser in the backseat of the car. From what I could gather, out of the entire friend group, it seems like Adam was closest with Gary. I know I'm getting a little detail-heavy here, but I think knowing a little bit about these dynamics will help in trying to figure out what actually happened at this party later on. In most accounts, Cody drops off Adam, Gary, and Kino at the cattle guard just outside of the party area. Cody and Levi don't stay for the party. Cody will later state that this is because he doesn't drink. Cody does ask Adam if he'll need a ride later on, and he says he probably wouldn't, because his friends Armando and Jose were at the party. Cody tells Adam to just let him know if he does, and he'll come back by to pick him up. According to Levi's mother, who was dating Gary's father at the time, by the way, she spoke with Levi that night. She called him around 12.30am. Levi said that they were just out cruising around, and he'd be home sometime soon. Around 1 a.m., Levi asks her to come pick him up at Cody's house. Cody's car was at the residence, but she didn't see Cody. We don't know why Cody didn't just drop Levi off at home. In the police reports, neither Levi or his mother mention anything about Levi being in trouble and having to go home. But according to Ariana, Levi told her that's why he didn't go to the party.
3: When, a little after they had left, I started like, feeling a little funny like something was wrong so i had called the only person who had gone with the phone which was levi and uh i called him and i was like hey levi my spidey senses are tingling like uh, uh is everything all right with Adam?" and he was like oh well my mom actually called me and i'm in trouble so i have to go back home so cody and me dropped little gary kino and adam off at the cattle guard in, in uh armando was there so they hopped in the back of armando's truck and he took them to the party but i'm already heading back and i was like oh okay well does anybody else there have a phone? He's all known. Not Not that I know of. And I was like, all right, well, at least I know that right now. He's okay.
0: Maybe Levi and his mom just didn't mention Levi being in trouble. Maybe Levi didn't want to tell Ariana that he just didn't want to go to the party. Ultimately, we don't know. But I couldn't overlook this discrepancy. And yes, as you heard Ariana tell us, Adam didn't have his phone on him. In fact, he left both his phone and wallet at home. Another important piece of information here is that it seems like most people didn't have a phone at this party. But let's talk about this party. From what I could gather, it was a mix of high school students and younger adults like Adam. We know that Cody and Levi didn't attend. Ultimately, they'd never come back for Adam or anyone else. At least according to reports. So as far as we know, this is where their involvement with the party ends. At least for now. So we have Adam, Gary, and Kino dropped off at the loop. We know that Adam knows Armando and Jose at this party, but we are also introduced to another person that we will be discussing a lot, Toby. According to Adam's case file and Ariana, it appears that there were upwards of 30 people at this party, but these are the men we'll be focusing on. Although there are so many witnesses in this case, we still don't really know what happened at this party. But here's what we do know. There was a lot of alcohol and most likely drugs. Toby was shooting his 22 rifle and allowing others to shoot it as well, including Jose and Gary. And then at some point, Gary ends up in the bonfire. Now, this is where the stories really go wild, and we will discuss some different witness statements later on. But for now, we just know that Gary did somehow end up in the fire and is burned badly. Gary is pulled out of the fire by Adam and possibly other people. After this, Gary ends up passing out because he's so drunk. Eventually, the party ends, and most people were gone by about 2 or 3 a.m. Everyone makes it home eventually, except for Adam. The morning after the party, Gary stops by Adam's house. Here is Ariana describing this interaction. Yeah,
3: because the next day... Um, I was the one that walked out, and uh, when I saw that little car pulling up, I was like, oh, okay, Adam's back, all right, cool. It was a long night. I was worried because, like I said, before he left, I was already concerned that something was wrong, like, right after he left. So the fact that he didn't make it home all night, you know, we were just like, oh, well, hopefully he found a, a really nice girl, and that's where he was all night, you know, just wishful thinking, and uh, when little Gary pulled up, that's when I I'd walked up, and yeah, his face was horribly burned. And I asked him, I was like, hey, dude, where's Adam? And he was like, what do you mean? He's here. And I was like, no, he was with you last night. You know where he is. And he was like, oh, then he took a drink out of his his, uh, 40 ounce of beer so early in the morning. And then he looks back at the dash and he tells me, well, if Adam comes back, tell him thank you, because I think he saved my life. Then he nods to the guy that was driving and they pull away.
0: So Adam isn't with Gary but apparently saved his life the night before. I think it's safe to assume that he was talking about being pulled out of the fire. But why would Gary say thank Adam for me if Adam comes back? What does that mean? He never explains. But Ariana runs in the house to tell her mother, and Grace immediately knows that something is very wrong.
4: we had all just figured that he maybe you know he had stayed the night at a, a friend's house, but... When he stays the night at anybody's house, he calls because he was a big mama's boy. He calls all the time. He would call if he was going to McDonald's, if he was going to, to a different friend's house, or if they're going to be going to the park, or if they're going to be skating in a different place. He would always call my mom, let her know where she was at.
0: Grace calls the Cochise County Sheriff's Office to report Adam missing, but they refuse to take the report until he's been missing for 48 hours. So Grace and the family go to look for Adam themselves. And after not finding him, Grace calls Cassandra.
1: My mom is telling me, Adam didn't come home, and we went to the place, and we're looking around, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, calm down. What are you talking about? Like, calm down, mom. calm down. He didn't come home, and he always comes home. He always does. He always tells me, no matter how late it is, he'll come in, and, and he'll say, Mom, I'm home. Even if it's super early the next day, he'll come and say, Mom, I'm home. And I said, I know, Mom. Calm down. It's okay. It's okay. Mom, just calm down. I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's just sleeping at Gary's house or maybe he's with you know, maybe one of his friends or the piscina's. He's he's probably just at a friend's house, Mom. He's fine, Mom. I'm sure it's okay. Don't do this. Don't work yourself up. It's gonna be okay, Mom. Okay, okay. Okay, but I'm calling you. You please pray. I got mom. I'm praying. I'm praying, mom. It's okay. It's gonna be okay. He's gonna be fine, mom. He's gonna come home. You just, you're working yourself up for nothing. Okay, okay, okay. All right, okay. I said, okay, well, you call me, call me, call me soon, call me, whatever you guys are gonna do. Just let me, okay, I'll call you soon. And as soon as I hung up, I sat there at my desk and I'm surrounded by other people in like other cubicles and I, I knew something was wrong. I felt it. I knew oh, shit, something's wrong. Man, I just told my mom nothing's wrong, and I feel it. So I start praying, and I'm like a wreck inside and can't even really work, and I end up telling my boss, like, hey, I don't I don't know what's going on, but uh, my mom just called me and my father didn't come home, so I'm sorry if my head's on, I don't right." And you know, oh, no, it's fine, it's okay, let me know what it goes through. So, you know, those days, to say that I remember them in detail, I don't. They were a blur. Just a blur. It happened so fast. And then it happened so slow, too. It was weird. You know, he didn't come home. No one knew where he was. No one had seen him. No one knew anything.
0: The Cochise County Sheriff's Office began working Adam's case on Monday morning, just under 48 hours since Grace last saw him. By 2.30pm, Adam is entered into the ACIC, or Arizona Criminal Information Center. There's no mention of Adam being entered into any national databases, like the NCIC. Authorities start interviewing witnesses pretty much immediately. But before we dive into the many witness statements gathered, because that is going to be a huge part of this story, I want to talk about both Adam's family and the police going back to the loop to look for Adam and the loop itself. Something that came up in Adam's case file was the question of whether or not the loop is on public or private land. Now, this may seem like a small detail, but I think it's absolutely crucial given the statements I'm about to present to you. So, I did some digging. Luckily, I know a lot of people who are fanatics about public land in Arizona. And of course, the website publiclands.org helped a lot. I found that the loop does appear to be private land just outside of the Wilcox Playa Wildlife Area. This wildlife area seems to be cut off by the freeway, with a loop being just to the east of the freeway division. So again, from what I could find from this beautiful color-coded map is that the loop is private land. When Grace first went to the loop to look for Adam, she and her nephew Rocky saw what looked like normal debris from a desert party. Bottles, trash, attire... Unfortunately just all of the trash that gets left behind from these things. But when she went out again, she and her husband were shocked to see county workers cleaning up the area and even burning things.
2: I, I just saw that there was um yeah, city workers over there out in the county. You know, it's like what what business do they have doing? And they were burning stuff. And uh I was like, Well, you know, I, I didn't I didn't see it that way at first, but my husband did. He said, "He goes, what? What business do they have being here?" And I had gone um, before that, like around, I think um, one or no two days. I think it was two days. Rocky took me, my nephew Rocky, and and you could see all these bottles gathered, scattered around. There was a tire there, there was, I, I, you know, yes, the pit where where there was something that had happened there, like I was supposed to be saying Gary, and um, it was just a mess. Well, the the time that me and my husband went, it totally looked different. There was no bottles, there was no tire there, Uh, everything seemed like, you know, like it hadn't been touched. And I said, this does not look like the way it did when me and Rocky came. And I found, because I know the the beer that my, my son was drinking. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, this, this is, I know that Adam was here because this is the kind of beer, when he didn't have money, that's what he would buy those, I guess, cheapest stuff, Mickey's or something like that. And I, so I took the bottle. But, you know, um, it was not the same. It was like somebody had came and just clean house. I said, so why would they do that? You know, and by, uh, by what I heard, you know, well, later on when my husband, you know, cause he's more worldly than I am, he says, um, well, of course you're going to cover up, you know. And again, like I
0: say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Grace and her husband don't like what they see. Rumors were already swirling in town that maybe Adam made the wrong person mad, and that person made him disappear. Now they come back to the site of the party and things were cleaned up by county workers on private land. You might be thinking what I was thinking at this point. Well, maybe the county just does this. I actually tried to call the county to ask this question, but no one ever got back to me. I can tell you from growing up in the Arizona desert that I've seen some larger pieces of trash, like tires, in some of these areas on public land for years. So I can confidently tell you that there are not officials in every county cleaning up the desert, or if they are, it's done very slowly. And I imagine even less so on private property, if it even happens at all. At first, I honestly kind of shrugged all this off as something strange that could probably be easily explained. But once I found out it was on private property, I thought, okay, maybe there's something here. And then when I read the police report of the first officers arriving at the Loop on September 25th, I knew that this was something I had to tell you guys about. I'm going to read straight from the police report. Quote, As we arrived at the location, we saw a county truck pulling a small trailer parked next to the area where bonfires are made during the drinking parties. And as we got out of our vehicles, the truck started to leave, and I asked the driver if he knew who owned the land where we were, and he said I would have to check with planning and zoning to find out. The truck then left the area, and as we were looking at the makeshift fire pit, we noticed that the area had been raked up and cleaned of debris. I then made the comment, I didn't know that county employees went out to these partying spots and cleaned up these areas, and it seemed unusual. So, although I wasn't able to find out directly from the county if they had workers going out to private land to clean up, I think it's safe to say that the officer gave us confirmation that yes, this seems kind of weird. There's no formal search of the loop on this day. The officers basically just take a look around. Before we get into the searches for Adam, let's finally dig into some of these witness statements, starting with the four guys Adam drove with to the party. The first person investigators call is Levi. He says he and Cody dropped off their friends at the party, and he hasn't heard from or seen Adam since. He thought Adam was getting a ride home from Armando. Levi's statements to police stay really consistent, and he never gives more detail. However, like I mentioned earlier, his mother Margaret did. She tells police all about that night, and how she called Levi and went and picked him up. She adds that when she asked Gary about the burns on his face, because remember, she's dating Gary's father, Gary said that he fell into the fire. She also adds that on September 17th, a group of people went out to look for Adam, and when she asked Gary and Cody to come with, both men told her it was a waste of time because he wasn't out there. Now, I won't keep you in suspense here. When police would later ask Gary to clarify this, he says it was just because he was already out there and they knew Adam wasn't there but again, these are statements I can't overlook. Next, let's talk about Cody, the driver. Again, we know part of his statement, but here we learn that Cody is the person who picks up Gary from the loop the morning after the party. It's kind of a weird situation, but it's actually Kino's mom who asks Cody to go get Gary. Cody confirms that when he picks up Gary, he sees a brown truck. From there, Cody takes Gary to Kino's house to shower and Gary goes with a different person to Adam's house to talk to Ariana. Gary does confirm this story with police. However, according to Cassandra, Gary tells her a totally different story about who picked him up. You'll hear that later in the episode. But there are multiple people who confirm that Cody picked up Gary from the loop, so I don't really know what to think. Also, something I absolutely cannot overlook about Cody is his vehicle. When police ask about the car used to take Adam to the party, Cody tells him that on the day after the party he drove about an hour and a half to Tucson, and his car broke down. He says the car was towed, but he couldn't afford the fees and ended up signing it over to the tow yard. But when police followed up on this, the tow yard said that they had the car, but the owner never contacted them. It was the state that called in the tow as an abandoned vehicle, and then the tow yard applied for an abandoned title. Investigators eventually travel to this tow yard, photograph, search, and process the car. Swabs are taken, and investigators collect some clothes, a shoe, a beer can, nothing exciting really. And as far as I could find, nothing ever came from this search. But again, of course we have to wonder, why the discrepancy in the story? Let's talk about Kino's statements. Kino was at the party with Adam, He tells investigators that he went to the party to meet a girl that he liked. He'd never been to the loop before. Kino admits that he was pretty drunk. He tells the investigator that on a scale of 1 to 10, he was about a 6 or 8. He remembers seeing Gary stagger and then fall into the fire. He adds that no one pushed him, and there was no fight. He says that he, Adam, and Jose all helped pick Gary up from the fire. Kino says he left the party at 1 a.m., When he left, Gary and Adam were still at the party. He also confirms that his mother went with Cody to pick up Gary the next morning, and that it was only Gary and the little brown truck at the Loop. Kino adds that he heard a rumor that Adam was shot five times at the party. Let's finally talk about Gary's statement. He says that they'd been drinking before the party, and that Adam pushed them all to go so that he could pick up girls. And eventually, the group gave in. Gary says he never saw or heard a gun but he admits that he was extremely intoxicated. Gary says no one pushed him into the fire. He fell. Though he admits that he was really too drunk to remember, and was pretty much just trusting what Kino told him. He doesn't remember much after being pulled out of the fire. He says he woke up alone in the truck that everyone described, which turns out to be a guy named Toby's truck. At 5am, he called his father to come get him. But Cody was the one who came. Earlier, we heard Ariana say that Levi was the only person at this party with a phone, so I don't know where Gary found a phone to call his father. In his interview, the investigators tell Gary that he is showing signs of deception, but Gary says it's probably just because he's nervous. So we've discussed everyone Adam was driving with that night. Let's dig into the statements from Armando, Jose, and Toby. We need to talk about Armando. He is by far the most accused of having something to do with Adam's disappearance. He is also the most talked about when it comes to corruption in Wilcox. Essentially, most witness statements mention something about his family being involved in some pretty bad stuff, above your average small-town drug dealing. But what I don't want to do is drag his name through the dirt by discussing rumors that I can't verify. However, given this reputation he has, be it true or false... I find it very interesting that his interview with investigators is, in my opinion, pretty limited compared to some of the others. Basically, an investigator calls Armando. He calls back and says he left the party at 2am and Adam was still there. He hasn't heard from or seen Adam since. Armando then goes into the police station on his own volition and says that he heard his friend Jose was arrested and that they were looking for him too. The investigator tells him he doesn't know anything about Jose being arrested, but asks him a few questions. Armando again confirms that he was at the party, adding that he left with Jose and two others around 2am. He says the only people left at the party were Adam, Gary, and Toby. Armando adds that Toby was stranded at the party because his truck had flat tires and a dead battery. He says Toby walked home and then called Armando to help with his stranded truck, and Armando obliged. He makes no statement about Gary being in the fire or if there was a gun at the party. This is the last report of Armando being interviewed in the case file. Next, let's talk about Jose. Jose makes no mention of Gary being in the fire. He does confirm that there was a gun at the party and admits to shooting it with Toby. Like Armando, Jose confirms that they left the party with two others around 2am, and that Gary, Adam, and Toby were the only people left at the loop when they left. He says that when they were leaving, he and Armando promised Adam that they would come back for him. But he says that he was drunk, and really just wanted to go home to sleep. So they never did. Jose says that both his girlfriend and father woke up when he arrived home. The next day, he went back to the loop to help Armando with Toby's truck. Jose says he doesn't know what happened to Adam. But maybe he was walking home and fell down drunk. Before we get to Toby, we need to talk about something. The thing about Jose and Armando saying that Adam, Toby, and Gary were the only people at the loop when they left around 2am is that they aren't the only people to say this. There were 8 different people who said that they left the loop at 2am and that Toby, Gary, and Adam were the only people left. The problem is, some names are redacted, so I can't list them out and try to see who was with whom. We know that Jose and Armando had two other people with them so that could account for four of the eight people. But who are these other four people who also say they left at 2 a.m.? For these statements to be correct, all eight people would have had to leave the loop at the exact same time. It's possible that Armando, Jose, and the other witnesses just didn't mention this, but it just feels like something is missing here. Last but not least, let's talk about what Toby tells investigators. Toby got to the party around 11 p.m., He didn't see how Gary got into the fire. His back was turned, and only saw him in the fire after it already happened. But Toby admits that he was pretty drunk, so his memory is fuzzy at best. He does remember leaving the party twice with Armando to get more beer, and admits to shooting his rifle with Jose and Gary. When investigators ask if there was any type of accident that happened with the gun, Toby insists that there wasn't. By the time everyone was leaving the party around 2 or 3 a.m., according to Toby, He was busy trying to get his truck to start, and he confirms that Gary was passed out in the back, leaving them and Adam as the last three people at the loop, just like we've heard a million times already. But this is where we get a stunning statement unlike any other. Toby says that Adam was picked up by someone not long after. He says he doesn't know who it was or what type of car it was because he was busy working on his truck only that maybe it was a four-door car. No one exited the vehicle, but he assumes Adam knew the driver, because all he heard was awesome, and then Adam was gone. Toby adds that although he was trying to find someone to jump his truck, he didn't go with Adam because he didn't want to leave it there, and possibly have it vandalized because there were so many people coming and going from the spot. But Toby says that a few hours after Adam left, he left Gary in his truck and began walking to town. At the end of the road, he saw a car that gave him a ride the rest of the way home. Toby does agree to let investigators take two guns from his house, and agrees to take a voice stress test. But the documents I have never discuss if the test was administered or not. Let's break this down, because I have questions. We learned earlier that Toby has a dead battery and allegedly some flat tires. So what was he trying to fix? I mean, it's possible that he was diagnosing the problem for a while. But with flat tires, even if you get a jump, you can't go anywhere. Did he have a spare tire? Let alone two? What was he doing for hours before walking to the road to get picked up? And of course, how did he not see any features of this car? Not a color, make, or model. Also, I thought this was a desolate area. Toby says he didn't want to leave his truck because so many people were coming and going and he says he got a ride at the end of the road. So were Toby, Adam, and Gary really the last people at the loop, or were there people coming and going? I'm confused. Unfortunately, the statements gathered by investigators from other witnesses don't clarify anything. Like I mentioned earlier, pretty much the second Adam went missing, the rumors began. And it didn't look good. Both Grace and Ariana were immediately inundated with stories about how Adam was killed at the party. To the credit of these investigators, they track down a lot of these rumors. And in the case file, you see them reach out to basically every name that is brought up. I'm not going to go into each and every rumor. But let's talk about some of the popular ones. The most common rumor and the one that the Castillos lean towards is that Gary owed Armando money so he pushed Gary into the fire. When Adam went to get him out, Adam became the target of Armando's rage. Some people say that Adam was beat, tied up, and put into the back of Armando's truck. And some people even say that he shot Adam on sight right there. Now, Gary's father's girlfriend would come forward and tell investigators that she overheard Gary telling someone over the phone that he would pay them back. He just needed to get a job first. So there could be something to this part. But as far as up to 30 witnesses seeing someone get shot or even tied up and no one says anything? I don't know about that. There are a few variations of the rumor that Adam was standing up to people at the party in order to help others. In one version, they were trying to start a gang and Adam was against it so they killed him. In another version, a girl was being sexually harassed and he saved her, resulting in his death. Another popular rumor was that Adam was doing cocaine with Armando and Jose at the party. He either did too much or knocked over the tray and was killed for it. Some people were saying that Adam was talking badly about people from Bowie, a nearby town, and that there were people from Bowie at this party. The people from Bowie didn't appreciate that and killed Adam. An anonymous witness would come forward and say that that's exactly what they'd heard in town. Everyone was saying that Adam deserved to die for the way that they spoke about them. A very interesting rumor was that a girl who drove a red Honda picked Adam up from the party. This girl's sister even told police that she did. But the girl with the red Honda everyone was talking about came forward and said that she wasn't even at the party. But she thinks Adam was shot and killed accidentally, and that Armando and Jose helped cover it up. I could go on. There's all sorts of rumors about where he was buried, about his body being dissolved in acid, pretty much anything you can think of. I'd say Adam's case file is about 40 pages of these kinds of stories. The rumors were so bad that the Cochise County Sheriff's Office literally shut down the high school for an entire day just to interview the students. Almost nothing helped Adam's case, but they were able to make some larger drug busts from the information they got. Unfortunately, the local media tied the two together, linking Adam to these organized drug rings.
1: They were doing an investigation and they closed the school down and they like took, my mom said it was like 70 students, I think, into questioning. Um, and I think there's even a newspaper article on that. Um, they took 70 people or 70 students into questioning and no one knew anything. And from what the detective told my mom is, no one's saying anything no one knows anything no one is saying anything they, they are, they're they say they were there or they weren't there or that they saw adam or that they didn't see adam but that that was it no one knew after that like I, yeah i saw him there but i don't know what happened no one want no one wants to talk no one wants to say anything and so even the detective said most times when we see things like this it's because people are scared they don't want to say anything it's it's Uh, not a coincidence that not one person saw anything not one Um, but I guess they did like get some information from that um, investigation because they were able to like I think they they found some information about like a bunch of drugs being transported or something in the Safford or Bowie area I forget Um, I don't know how that had anything to do with my brother or that investigation, but I think I remember, um, that they got some information. So they were able to raid that, that drug deal or whatever. And so unfortunately, because of that in the newspaper, they kind of tied the two together. So it made it sound like my brother was involved in that stuff because they said, you know, 70 people interviewed or, or, um, Questioned um, and leading to big drug raid and buoy or Stafford. I don't know. I could find. I could find the article and send it to you. Um, but I remember being really mad at that. Like, are you, why would they do that? You know, Adam wasn't into that. Why? Why would they tie that? And now he looks like now people read it and they think that he was into that stuff and he was involved with those people and that he, you know, and how? Why would that even be a part of his investigation? You know, I just remember being really mad. Um, but As far as anything else, anything, like, firm standing, factual, no. My parents always got investigators on the case telling them they were working on it, reiterating the same things, going over the same stuff. Then the the case would go cold. And then another investigator would pick it up, and they'd have to relive it again. And again and again. To say that new evidence, they found a lead, somebody spoke, they found clothes, they, nothing, nothing has ever progressed.
0: This entire story is sad, but one part that really hit me is that Adam's ex-girlfriend, Wendy, the one that he was so sad about, actually went undercover to try to find answers about what happened to Adam.
4: And I remember a little afterwards because it had hurt his girlfriend, Wendy, so bad. Like, afterwards, she, I know she felt guilty because they were so in love, those two. And I remember she even was like, oh, I'm going around to Bowie. And I'm going around to San Simone. And I'm I'm going around everywhere. And she was all saying, I'm wearing, like, wigs and stuff. I'm trying to go undercover. She was so, she just wanted to know what happened to Adam so bad. And even she couldn't find anything. We are Everybody was trying to figure out something at that point, and we were always just hit with dead ends and no answers.
0: Let's talk about the searches for Adam. There would be a few of them at the Loop and some surrounding areas. When officers do their initial search at the Loop on September 27th, they are given specific instructions to look for 22 casings, a 22 rifle, any disturbance which could indicate a shallow grave, and the clothing Adam was last seen wearing teams search a four-mile radius for about six and a half hours. They do find a depression in the ground, but ultimately nothing comes from it. In October, a helicopter search would be conducted, with the assistance of U.S. Customs and Border Control agents. During this search, they found a large hole dug between two large mesquite trees. The hole was about two feet wide, four feet long, and two feet deep. The next day, they sent agents on foot to investigate. They find the hole, and under a tree nearby, they find a piece of wadded-up duct tape. However, according to the report, the investigator left the scene, and when he returned, he was unable to find this piece of duct tape to collect it as evidence. But, funny enough, when he returns to the same hole in November, the investigator is able to lead his boss right to it, and they photograph it and take it in for processing. They also find something in the hole this time a blue plastic handle that appeared to have been from something like a Rubbermaid tote. In the report, they state that it could have snapped off as the container was being removed from the ground. They also note that the hole looked incomplete, as if someone started digging but didn't entirely finish. While we're on the topic of searches, I want to add that according to Gary, he did go out and search for Adam. And I believe this, because when he was searching, he found something and called it in to police. Gary found a trash can that was taped shut and smelled like a dead body was inside. Police arrived, took pictures, and opened the can. But it was just trash and rotting meat. However, the police don't take this can in for any type of processing, so we really just have to take the police at their word on this one. I do think this is telling about Gary. Like I mentioned, it seems like he and Adam were pretty close. Cassandra told me that Adam would have done anything for Gary, It just seems like if Gary didn't want to be involved or was trying to avoid police, he wouldn't have called this in. But I could be wrong. In 2009, Cassandra came home for Easter. In Wilcox, this is a big event where most of the town comes together to celebrate. While driving home from this event, Cassandra sees Gary and takes this opportunity to confront him. And this is where we get the other rendition of how Gary got home from the party. In this clip I'm about to play you, you will hear the nicknames Tursa and Moso. To clarify, Tersa is Cassandra's nickname, and Moso is Jose.
1: So Easter comes around, and by this time, because I was determined I needed to go home, I was saving money. Um, again, I'm 20 and I make very little money, so I'm saving enough money, and I finally get enough where I'm like, I'm going home. I'm going to go see my family. So I go home for Easter. And in Wilcox, there's a big park or, like, the community park. There's a big, huge, like, old-school gazebo. Um, and they do this uh, Easter thing, you know, for the kids, an like Easter egg hunt. So I'm in this, like, stupid dress, the Easter dress <laughs> with my mom and my sister. I don't think Ariana was there. I think it was Eden. Yeah, I think it was Eden. Um, and we're in uh my mom had, like, an old-school hockey park, um, we're in, we're at the park and uh, we're at the, the Easter egg thing and it's over and we're leaving and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to leave and go change because I'm in this dumb dress and some heels and stuff. And, um, you know, seeing, seeing the town again was like just in a different light because now I have this reality setting that my fi- my family has this reality that my brother's gone. And, um, you know, everybody in Wilcox knows about it and we're the family everybody's talking about. And, uh, it's a small town and it was just ugly. So being around these functions, were not the same anymore. So it was kind of like always in us and we were ready to leave. We were like, let's just go. It's, it's over. There's no need to stick around and mingle like we would have, we were going to go. So we're leaving. Um, and I'm driving my mom's old school car. And uh, my mom's in the passenger. My sister's in the back. Eden, too small. Or she's like 15 at the time. Um, I am pulling out of the park area. And I see a car pass by. Because I'm kind of at a T intersection. I see a car pass by me. And it's scary. And he's in the car. Or he's in the car and he's driving. And I know it's scary. I saw his face. And I was like, mother And something just took over me. So I obviously where he was, the direction he was going in is not the direction we were going into. And I flipped and went and started following him. And my mom's like, what are you doing? I was like, I couldn't even speak. I was just kind of like seeing red. And I get up close to him and I'm like super on his ass. And I start honking to him and he starts realizing, and I could see him kind of like slowing down and breaking. And I'm like putting my head out the window and I'm saying, pull over, pull over. And I'm like almost to the point of hitting his car. And I, I just keep, like, I won't let go. I'm, like, pull over, you know, and I, like, I'm just, just, like, making a big scene. So he drives a good way, because we're at the park area. So I want to say at least a mile, maybe. He drives a good way, and we're at these apartments at the very end of, like, the main street. He pulls into that parking lot of the apartments, and he gets out of the car, and I get out of the car, and I told you, I'm in this stupid fucking dress and these heels. And I'm, like, ready to kick his ass. But I'm in this dumb dress and uh, I like walk up to him and I shove him. I'm like, what the fuck, Gary? And he's like, what? what, 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 what? And I said, what? I said, wait, what? I was like, where's my brother? You know? And I'm like, just yelling at him. I'm screaming at him. I can't tell you word for word, verbatim what I say to him, but I'm mad. And I'm like yelling at him. Where's my brother. You had to know, you have to know what happened you have to know what happened to him. And he starts crying. He's crying. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Tirsa, I'm sorry. I I wish I knew. I'm so mad at myself because I got so fucking drunk. I I don't know. I blocked out. I all I remember, and this is what he tells me. All I remember is Adam, I was really drunk, and Adam told me that I needed to sleep it off because I was really drunk. Adam told me I needed to sleep it off, and so he put me in the back seat of did he say a specific person's car or maybe a car? He put me in the back seat of the car and and all I remember is I was laying down in the back seat and at the foot of the door, Adam is standing there and Moso is with him. Again, I don't know who Moso is. I've only heard of Moso. So Moso is apparently from what they told me. Moso was Abel's like best met, best friend or bright hand man or whatever. But, like, the two of them were, like, a duo. They were always together. So when Gary told me that he, uh, going back to the Easter, when I say, you know, what does it? Tell me. What do you remember? You know, he's crying. And he said, all I remember is I was so drunk. And Adam put me in the back seat of the car. And he was, I remember laying down. And I'm looking out the door of the open door of the car. And I see Adam, and he's standing, leaning against the t- car, and Moso standing with him. And they're both telling me, just sleep it off. Just sleep it off, man. Just sleep it off. You just got to sleep it off. And I said, okay. He's like, and that's it. And he's crying. He's like, I feel like an awful friend. Like, I failed him. Like, because I was so drunk, I don't even know what happened to him. And, and uh, like, it haunts me still. Like Like, I don't even know. I don't even know. All I know is I was drunk and I, and I was told to sleep and I said, so then what happened? You know, he's like, well, when I woke up, this is what he told me. <sighs> when I woke up, I woke up in Toby's truck. Um, and I was like, what the fuck? Why would you, why would you wake up in Toby's truck? You, you were in a car. He's like, I know I was in a car. And I said, that makes zero sense. He's like, I know, I know. He, and he's like, but I woke up in Toby's truck and no one was there. I said, wait, what? Yeah, I was in Toby's truck and Toby wasn't there. I think he said that the keys were gone. Like, like he was just in the truck and he said his shoes were gone. Like he had no shoes on. And I was like, okay, like, and then what? And he said, "Uh, I don't know like I, that was it. I was alone. I woke up and I kind of was like spinning, head spinning. And I got out of the truck and I was thinking like, what the fuck happened? You know, all I see is like, you know, everybody was there and I'm alone and it's the next day. He's like, so why I start walking home? And I was like, okay. He's like, well, when I'm walking home, um, that was when his sister, his sister's name's Hillary. Um, her boyfriend, I guess, had drove to the location to try and find Gary and he saw him walking on the side of the road so he picked him up um I was barefoot I walked home and um and that's that's it that's all I remember and so I'm stuck on the whole Toby truck like I'm still like I don't I don't get it Gary how did you go to sleep in a car and you woke up in Toby's truck like he's like I don't know I just I was I was in Toby's truck so my mom is kind of like, Mika, let him, like, leave him, because he's crying, he's, like, sobbing, she's like, Mika, just let him be, and I'm mad, I'm like, no, no, I'm not leaving you, and I'm, like, being really ugly with my words, I'm being very bitchy, and I'm like, no, like, f- you know, stop fucking lying, you know, and I, like, shoved him a little bit, and he's a shorter guy, so he, I was much, and I was wearing these stupid heels, so I was, like, kind of over, towering over him, Um, and I told my mom, like, I was like, I, I wanted to fuck him up, you know, and I don't know if I would have been able to do that, but, <laughs> um, I was really, really upset. And, um, I'm telling you, I saw red and something took over me, but my mom was kind of nudging me through the car. Cause she never got out of the car. She was just kind of through the window saying, Misha, leave him alone. Let him, let him go. Just let him go. And I'm like, no, mom, no. And I'm looking back at her and, and no, he has to tell me, you know? And, uh, I said, how can he do that? He was Adam was so loyal to him. Adam was his best friend. He loved him. He would have done anything for him. How could he do that to him? You know, and I'm I'm saying this on purpose so that Gary can hear this. Like, you're a piece of shit. Uh Adam would have done anything for you. And um he's crying. He's just crying. On the like he's leaning against his car and just crying. And I felt like, well, this isn't gonna get nowhere. <laughs> So I shake my head and I just kind of feel defeated and I'm like, you're a piece of shit, dude. And I just get, I walk away and I get in the car and I leave.
0: I have to say, I understand why Cassandra felt this way. There is no feeling quite like being in front of the person that you believe has answers about your missing loved one. Someone you thought was a good person. Looking them in the eyes and not getting anything. Unfortunately, this is pretty much where the case is today, or at least where Adam's case file ends. The records stop in March of 2009, just months after Adam went missing. I don't know if anyone was given the voice stress test they agreed to. I don't know if any of the people with Adam that night were interviewed again, or what the results were for some of the testing they mentioned. But according to his family, there haven't been any new developments, No one is talking, and they haven't found a single trace of Adam. What happened to Adam out there? Did something happen at the party while everyone was watching? I honestly really doubt that. Did something happen when it was just Armando, Jose, Toby, Gary, and Adam? Or was Adam really picked up at that party by some unknown person to never be seen again? No one knows. After years of advocating for Adam's case through the Cochise County Sheriff's Office, a detective finally broke down and told Ariana that if she wanted answers, she should go to the media. That's when she turned to TikTok.
3: You know, nothing's really going to happen to this because it's technically a cold case already. And I was like, well, what would you suggest that we do? And he was all, put some public pressure. And I remember back then, I didn't know, I'm still not very technically savvy, so Uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to make a Facebook page for it or anything like that. So I was just like, well, I guess I could just help my mom hang up some more posters. But when I saw you and how much you made uh, like a wave on TikTok, I was like, well, maybe maybe this way I could get heard. Maybe this way Adam can finally, his name can be heard. And, you know, maybe we can actually get something going on his case. So that's definitely why I took it to TikTok.
0: Ariana admits that she was angry at her town she felt that everyone turned their backs on adam but with this new venture into social media and through the help of another family she says that she's a bit more optimistic now
3: um honestly i when i had just started the tiktok and uh, everything the the town that i thought was like so horrible had actually gathered up and there's a specific family the ovulas yeah Helped me so much with just sharing and sharing and all that, and it kind of brought a like a new light to my heart because I, I was so closed off, especially since after after Adam had been went missing and friends, I lost so many friends. Like it, it was like they didn't want to talk to me anymore. So just to see that the town that I thought was so horrible and cold-hearted actually decided to open up their arms and help my family, it was beautiful. Like. I really want to thank
0: them. Grace Castillo is understandably not as hopeful as long as Adam's case remains with Cochise County.
2: I think we need help from out out of here. Because uh, obviously, you know, to me, uh, yes, I thank, I thank the people that, that are, are really, truly friends and they care, you know, and they say things, you know, oh, he was such a good guy, you know, and stuff. But the law here is not the law. It's like the, I've always seen the cop cars and it says, um, we are here to, how does it say? Mm-hmm. Serve and protect. But like I say, who? Who are you protecting? You're not doing your job. You forgot. That oath that you that every every cop and every uh sheriff you know promises when they get that job and and it's you know I feel that this needs to be i don't know if the girls told you but supposedly um America's Miss wanted was supposed to come, well then all of a sudden they never came, but to me it's um it's like saying. They probably did come, or called, and they said, "Oh no, you know it's it's been fixed." Or I don't know what, but America's most wanted, by what I I have seen, is um, they're honest and truthful people because um, Mr. Walsh, uh, John Walsh, he to me, he he sounds and he looks genuine. And what happened, the way I see it, is because the personal experience that he went through with his son being kidnapped and killed, Adam Walsh. So like I said, you know, we need to get something exposed from somewhere. We need the help from out, out of this town, out of this county. Because, by the way, you know, I see it, you know, nothing's going to be done. And it's not just Adam that's missing. There's the other ones here, but they don't seem to care. So, you know, it's, it's just, um, it needs to be exposed. These, these police officers and the ones before is, is just, it's just, um, the corruption. It looks like it's never going to end.
0: Grace told me that there's another new detective on Adam's case, but she's never met him. At this point, I think it's safe to say that she's beyond frustrated with the county. This
2: last one, I haven't even met the guy. And uh, if if my daughter doesn't go in there and ask, uh, we wouldn't have known that there was, there was another sheriff. Like I say, we've never met this guy. He's never said, you know... Well, you know, even in phone or something, but nothing. And, um, uh, when the other ones, especially, uh, Officer Ferguson, he, um, he sounded just like, you know, all of them, they sound real good, you know, oh, there's hope in this person. This guy, when I met him, he was young, thin, you know, very, uh, Oh, I promise you this, and I know I'm going to do that, you know, and, and you know, everything pretty. He painted a beautiful, perfect picture, but when it came to the nitty-gritty, he would come like, I'd uh, say, oh, the first time it was like a month, and then the next time for like three months, and then he went scattered it. It made it longer and longer until I had to go and my daughter's. We'd have to go and ask and tell the sheriff's right there at the the department. uh, Is he here? No, he's not. Can you leave him a message? Tell him that I want to talk to him. Never heard from him. Never, never, never.
0: Adam's case is far from over. Ariana just began her social media journey this year, which brings me right to our call to action.
3: Well, mostly it's just sharing a story because, like when you said you look it up, there's almost no media coverage. There's no stories. There's no, barely one or two newspaper articles on it. There's nothing. So I figured if a, if if I don't start it, and if my family doesn't get together and we start it, and there's gonna be nothing to look up on. There's there's no story there. Kind of like it just got pushed out to the back burner of the of the police station's eye. And I just really wanted it to just be spread out there. Maybe like I said, maybe if they. They saw that so many people were talking about it. They'd probably look into it and decide maybe we should reopen this case.
0: Please take a moment to support Adam's family on social media. You can find them under Justice for Adam Castillo on TikTok. Also, please share Adam's story. Like you heard, his case has had almost no coverage. So although you might think a share might not amount to anything in this case, it can make a huge difference just like every single share helped in my sister's case. As a reminder, Adam went missing on September 14th, 2008, just outside of Wilcox, Arizona at the age of 21. Adam is a Hispanic male with brown hair and brown eyes. He had short hair at the time of his disappearance and was wearing a black t-shirt or tank top, long camouflage print shorts, and green and white skate shoes. He does have a scar on his forearm that is at least three inches long, and a scar on the back of his head on the right side. If you have any information about the disappearance of Adam Castillo, please call the Cochise County Sheriff's Office at 520-803-3280. But, as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice.